where I thought that the Nike Fuel Band and the Jawbone and the Fitbits of the world were lame was that the best athletes in the world didn't wear them. That's Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, a company whose mission is to unlock human performance. You know, in the early days of the company, I remember investors would say to me, oh, you should just go, you know, pay these guys or you should go give them a bunch of equity. And I said that completely missed the point because if we built the technology that we were promising we could build, they would pay us to wear it. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp Video, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. On today's episode, I sat down with Will Ahmed to talk about achieving optimal performance by unlocking your full physical and mental potential to not only become healthier, but also more resilient and effective. The cool thing about dealing with that and also finding a way to manage through really difficult times is that when times are then good, it's almost like you've been training with weights on and all of a sudden the weights are off and the wind's at your back and you, you realize the power of, of momentum. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. I'm very excited to have Will Ahmed on the podcast, not only because he has an incredible company with a powerful mission behind it, but also because I'm personally a user and a big fan of his product, the Whoop Fitness Tracker. Will founded Whoop around the goal of unlocking human performance. So I was looking forward to hearing how he recommends business leaders apply these practical strategies to grow both personally and professionally. The mission of WHOOP is really around unlocking human performance. And I think broadly speaking, we believe every individual has a, an inner potential that you can tap into if you can better understand their body. I got into the space personally because I was always into sports and exercise. And growing up, I played a dozen different sports. I ended up going to Harvard and playing uh, squash there. And I was captain of the Harvard squash team. And my experience of being a college athlete showed me that athletes, myself included, really didn't know all that much about what they were doing to their bodies while they were training. You know, there, it was sort of just this perception that if you trained a lot, eventually you'd get fit. And for me, I used to overtrain as a result of that because I used to kind of push, 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 and then all of a sudden you, you fall off a cliff. And other athletes would get injured or misinterpret fitness peaks or not necessarily understand the importance of recovery or sleep. And so for me, it was really trying to understand everything I could about the human body. And I didn't a lot of physiology research while I was in school. I read something like 500 medical papers. And I wrote a thesis myself around how to continuously understand the human body. And I would say that ultimately became the business plan for starting Whoop. And that was 2011, 2012. So eight years ago, at least. And it's been, it's been an amazing journey since then. I've gotten to work with incredibly, incredibly smart people. It takes a very talented team, as you know, to build anything. And yeah, today we're proud to serve a lot of high-performing individuals and teams. 
Now, I imagine there's easier ventures that one can go down because it was something like Whoop. You know, you've got the hardware aspect, the software aspect, the data and analytics, and you've got to be, it seems like you've got to be really good at all three and make them work really well together. I guess, what were some of the early challenges that you guys had experienced? Yeah, so I would say in 2012, 2013, a lot of what we were doing was hardcore technology development. We wanted to be able to measure something called heart rate variability, which previously no other product of the market could measure except for an electrocardiogram, which you know is like $10,000, $20,000 hospital equipment. And what was so interesting about heart rate variability is it was a statistic that was being used in like the 70s and 80s by Olympic powerlifters and then cyclists and then the CIA was using this thing to understand lie detection. And I was like, wow, this is a really powerful statistic. This is a statistic that's a lens into your body. And it's a lens into your body in a way that you may not be able to feel. And I thought, wow, if we could measure heart rate variability continuously, and mind you, heart rate variability is different from heart rate. We can go into that if you want to talk about it. But if we could measure this statistic, we would have this unbelievable lens into your body's status, into how rested or recovered your body was. And for me, that was that was quite exciting. So a lot of the, I would argue even the first 12 months of the business, business really in quotes because we weren't selling anything, really the first 12 months of technology development were to figure out if we could measure heart rate variability accurately from the wrist. And that, I would say, was our first breakthrough as a company. So that's a pretty bold decision in the sense that it seems like a lot of other fitness trackers are tracking things like heart rate and step count and so on. And when you talk about heart rate variability or HRV, if you could, I guess, go into a, some detail in terms of what this is. I mean, I guess it's the variance in, in time between beats of the heart, but like more specifically, the role that plays in recovery. Yeah. So heart rate variability, as you defined, is the time between successive beats of the heart. What's counterintuitive about it is the higher your heart rate variability, the better. So if your heart's beating at 60 beats per minute, it's not beating every second, right? If your heart's beating at 60 beats per minute, it's not beating every second. That's a very counterintuitive concept in itself. It turns out it's beating like 1.2 seconds and then 0.8 seconds and then 0.7 seconds and then 1.3 seconds. And that variability is actually a sign that your body is governing itself and adapting to its environment. And the reason for that is your body consists of a sympathetic and parasympathetic activity. So this is a lens into your autonomic nervous system. Sympathetic's activation. So that's like heart rate up, blood pressure up, respiration up. That's what's happening when you're exercising or you're stressed or you're thinking about something. Parasympathetic's all the opposite. Heart rate down, blood pressure down, respiration down. It's what helps you fall asleep. When you inhale, that's sympathetic. When you exhale, that's parasympathetic. And as it turns out that you want sympathetic and parasympathetic to be in constant balance. And when you become sympathetic dominant, that's a sign that your body is not recovered. And by measuring heart rate variability, we're able to have a deep lens into this whole phenomenon around your autonomic nervous system. And the main output of that to the end user is to be able to understand how recovered they are on a daily basis. So as you know, every day you get a recovery on WHOOP from zero to 100%, red, yellow, green, that's telling you how prepared your body is to perform. And if you go back to the origin story for WHOOP, it was really feeling like I didn't know how much I should train on a given day. And so my assumption was I should just train a lot. 
And that's how you burn out. That's how you get run down. And we're seeing this now outside of sports and exercise, but all, all across society. How do you prevent burnout? How do you be more optimal as a human being in your daily life, right? And so that's where the origin for this idea of recovery came from, is to be able to give someone a statistic every day that told them, right, not just what had happened, but what they should do next, actionable, go forwards, right? And so if you have a high recovery, you should take on more strain. If you have a low recovery, you should take on less strain. Maybe you shouldn't even exercise or take on strain at all. You know, in many ways, Whoop is the first fitness product to tell you not to work out, to rest. And so that that is really the power of heart rate variability. And I think it's the power of a of a score every day that tells you your recovery. And you know, one of the things that's been so interesting to me is that kind of the difference between how you feel psychologically versus how you're responding physiologically, right? In, in meaning that you might feel fine. And I've known numerous athletes and entrepreneurs that want to get after it every single day they're in the gym, no matter what, like they just want to push it all the way. But where they're not seeing things is like, how are they actually recovering and that they could potentially see better performance by like focusing more on recovery, perhaps less strain. So it's just interesting to have that data. Now, I'm curious, when you, were, when you, when you guys were creating Whoop, originally, who was this created for? Originally, it was created for athletes. I mean, our initial vision was always, this is something that athletes need the most. But over time, it's going to be a platform for anyone. Because while we all have different physiologies, we have the same biology. And what that means is that there's there's just a number of statistics that are core to measuring the human body. And if you can measure those things, you can provide unbelievable insights. And I mean, from a business standpoint, too, I always wanted to anchor Whoop around high performance. And I felt that the next generation health monitoring company would have true credibility and validation from the world's best athletes. And where I thought that the Nike Fuel Band and the Jawbone and the Fitbits of the world were lame was that the best athletes in the world didn't wear them. Now, you know, who needs to optimize their performance more than someone who's got a 10, 50, $100 million contract, depending on how their body performs? I mean, that seems so obvious to me that that, that market's going to care a lot about their bodies. And so if you've built a product that's focused on understanding health and that market doesn't want to wear it or use it, there's something probably wrong, right? Or it's, you know, targeting a completely different sector of health. And so what we saw is in 2015, you know, two of our first hundred users were people like LeBron James and Michael Phelps, right? And so that was a sign to me that we were on the right path because there were a lot of things wrong with our technology from just an ease of use standpoint. Yet we were able to have, you could argue, two of the best athletes in the world at that time, two of the best athletes ever, willing to use it because... For them, the promise of being able to measure things accurately like sleep and recovery was such a big promise. That was a, that was a huge value proposition. And, you know, in the early days of the company, I remember investors would say to me, oh, you should just go, you know, pay these guys or you should go give them a bunch of equity. And I said that completely missed the point because if we built the technology that we were promising we could build, they would pay us to wear it. And if we didn't build that technology, there was no amount of money that we were going to be able to pay these guys or anyone for that matter to wear something 24-7 that didn't give them true insight, 
right? It's a big ask to wear something 24-7. You need real insight to come from that. And so that's largely turned out to be true, that point of view. You know, we really don't sponsor or endorse athletes. And now I would say we work with with largely the best athletes in the world. Now, you know, for people that are listening to this podcast, which is largely law firm owners and entrepreneurs, I mean, I remember seeing when, when you know, you've got Navy SEALs wearing whoops and you see elite athletes. For me, I was initially drawn to that because if they're wearing it, you know, as, a, as almost like a corporate athlete, that's, you know, I look for any sort of competitive edge. But what would you say would be some of the benefits to just candidly entrepreneurs who may not be elite athletes or may not even want to be, but just still want to optimize their performance? Well, the exciting thing about being an entrepreneur is you're trying to take on a level of stress that will break most people. You know, you're, you're trying to overcome that in the pursuit of building something special. And I've felt that firsthand, you know, for the last eight, even 10 years, thinking about Whoop and building Whoop. And there are, there are points in building anything where it's like overtraining. You feel like you've hit a wall. You feel like you've got nothing left. And so that's the analogy for Whoop for the entrepreneur is there's two ways to think about adding more balance to your life, right? The first way, and this is the, the way that most people recommend, is, oh, well, you've just been putting too much stress on your body, so you need to take on less stress. And that's, that's fine. I mean, we do that with consumers every day, right? We show them you didn't sleep well, your body's run down do a little less today. But the other way that's actually less talked about, that's more important for entrepreneurs, is how can you actually take on the same level of stress, but be more recovered and be more rested so that you can keep taking it on. And so what I encourage entrepreneurs to think about is what are all the habits that they can embody that actually allow them to maintain a high output for a long time? You know, there's always this analogy of it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? That actually misses the point because the best marathoners in the world are running like a four-minute mile and most people can't even run a four-minute mile. You know what I mean? So you have to be all out really for a long, long time and at a pace that most people can't, can't handle. And so that's where Whoop can come into the picture and we can help an individual figure out in your life, what do you need to change or optimize to be more optimal? Like, let's talk about sleep for a second, right? You spend a third of your life sleeping. And in general, people think, well, I'm a busy person. I just can't get enough sleep. That's going to be me for the rest of my life. Well, that's a super suboptimal way to lock in the rest of your life because you may still have a set period of time even that you can sleep. And you're not making that as optimal a period of time as it could be. So let's say that you're that person who says, I can't spend more than six and a half hours in bed. That's all I've got. Okay, fine, fine. Let's say that that's all you've got. There's still a lot of ways within that six and a half hours to dial you in, right? So what you know, Michael, about measuring your body with whoop is that sleep is not just the number of hours you spend in bed. There's the stages of sleep. So within that six and a half hours, how much time are you actually spending asleep? Let's start there. So maybe that's now six hours. Maybe that's five and a half. Hell, for some people, that's three, unfortunately. And then within that time you're asleep, how much of that is REM and slow wave sleep? So REM sleep is when your, your mind is repairing itself. It's cognitive repair. It's when you're dreaming, right? 
So if you're an executive, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a lawyer, or you're a high-performing individual, you need to repair cognitively, period. If you're trying to learn something, oh my gosh, you need to repair cognitively. Slow-wave sleep is when your body produces 95% of its human growth hormone. So people think they get stronger in the gym. They're actually breaking their muscles down in the gym. You get stronger during sleep. That's when you're repairing your muscles. If you take that person who spends six and a half hours in bed and they can all of a sudden go from getting an hour of REM and slow wave sleep to getting four or five hours of REM and slow wave sleep, that person has just changed their life. I mean, completely changed their life. And I'm not exaggerating that one bit. It is a profound lifestyle shift and performance shift. I think people are incredibly, tend to be incredibly short-sighted about sleep because you can only really manage it if you, if you measure it. And we're not talking about massive, massive changes. I mean, we can go into some of the different lifestyle tips, but sometimes it's just little tweaks and all of a sudden you just feel so much better. And, you know, as the saying goes, like what gets measured gets improved. I, I will say that sleep for me, I mean, was it was a huge priority. And, and it seems like there's not a lot of great sleep trackers out there in the market. Like they just don't do a very good job of it. And I believe Whoop is one of the most, if not the most accurate trackers for sleep. But what, why would you say that is? What, what does Whoop do differently? Well, we collect a lot more data. So that's an advantage that we have over other products in the market is that we're very focused on data collection. We sample data across five sensors 50 to 100 times per second, 50 to 100 times per second. And we collect about 100 megabytes of data on a person a day. And, you know, that's about 1,000 to 10,000 times as much data as a Fitbit or an Apple Watch in a given day. So we have a massive data advantage. And then we've built the best algorithms on top of that. I mean, I would also say that we approached it from a point of view of, we want to be as accurate as the gold standards, as true medical equipment. We want to be able to be the equivalent of a sleep lab. We want to be the equivalent of a chest strap. We want to be the equivalent of an electrocardiogram. And frankly, if you don't strive for that level of accuracy, you don't come anywhere close because there's so many reasons why you wouldn't try to do that. It has massive battery life implications. It narrows your feature set. The whoop strap, you know, it's a pretty simple sensor. It's mostly material. It doesn't have a screen on it. You're not going to make phone calls. You're not going to you know, hail an Uber with your whoop strap. But it's going to give you the best and most accurate health data because that's what it's focused to do. And it, it, it seems like just it, everything that you guys have done with whoop has been very, very intentional. I mean, one of the things that I actually love about it is the fact that there is no display, that it is just clean. You know, people are looking at devices that they wear, you know, on their wrist or on their body. This is one of those things. It almost seems like it operates in the background. Like I, I'm the type of person where like anytime some new, you know, new piece of tech comes out, I'd want to try it out, but I could stick with the various, you know, fitness trackers because it would require a lot of manual work and logging and so on. But whoop just, it seems like it operates in the background. It does a lot of uh, detection automatically at the same time it's you know it's waterproof you can wear it like you don't even have to take it off to charge it so i guess just from you know i'm assuming there's a lot of intentionality in that product design of just making it very integrated into someone's daily life where i was always critical of, of fitness trackers in the last 10 years is it seemed to me like it was a specifications competition you know you go to the spec page of this product versus this product and this thing does 22 things and this thing does 18 things. And it's like, 
okay, so maybe that's how you're going to advertise to the consumer. I thought that was very short-sighted. I think the promise of health monitoring is so much bigger than that. It's the true ability to understand your body in a way that, frankly, humanity's never had before. I mean, we've gotten to a place with computing that is just unparalleled in the history of humanity. And the fact that you can wear something that would have you know, been a computer the size of uh, a football field 40 years ago, and you can wear that now in a tiny sensor on your body is really amazing. It's amazing. And to be able to calculate all this data and be able to compress it and be able to store it. So we're in an exciting moment in time, both as consumers and as, and as technology creators. And so that's where you have to focus more on what's the promise here, not what, what does the thing do? You know, why does the thing exist? Not what does it do? That's a lot of where Whoop came from. And it seems like a lot of these measures are very like individualized, if you will, like heart rate variability, for example, that can it can be different from individual to individual. There's not necessarily like a good HRV versus, you know, a bad one. It's just more about how does that change over time specific to the person. And it seems like even with like the journal, for example, where you can input different things, like whether you sleep with white noise or not, whether whether you do meditation, whether you are doing yoga or sitting in a sauna and so on. But what was the thought behind like being able to, I guess, track? those things within the Whoop app and then actually correlate that with an increase or decrease in recovery and performance? Well, so much of it goes back to the, the mission of Whoop is to help you improve performance and understand your body, right? So obviously, lifestyles, behaviors, supplements, diets, all these different things affect your body. And for the longest time, Whoop members would reach out to us and say, oh, I learned by A-B testing in the background that if I took this thing, my sleep was better or not, right? And, and one thing that's powerful about Whoop is it does sort of raise your consciousness of things that you're doing to your body because you're now measuring against it. But we wanted to make that very specific and very deliberate. So we created this feature, the Whoop Journal, that effectively allows you to input virtually anything about, about your body and test how your body reacts to it. And for the longest time, I've felt like pop culture health stuff has been very one size fits all. The flavor of the month is paleo. The flavor of the month is keto. The flavor of the month is melatonin before bed, whatever, right? And that's what you should do. And I just think that's BS, right? I think it has to be entirely based on who you are and what the physiological response is. You know, so if someone says, hey, should I go on this diet? I'd say, hey, try it, test it and see what the data says. You know, intuitively, there's some things that are just bad for you, right? So alcohol across the board has a negative effect on, on our population and probably much more dramatically than you would think. It's sort of an unfortunate thing. Once you go past two drinks, it, it, your body really has a negative effect to alcohol. But there's other things that are much more like personal. I mean, some of those diets I just mentioned, highly personal, whether those are going to help your body or not. Supplements before bed, highly personal. You know, magnesium, melatonin, CBD. I know people who have, who have had, again, back to that conversation of the person who gets six and a half hours of sleep or spends six and a half hours in bed, how can they get the most out of their, that six and a half hours? This is where you want to test things. So I know, for example, that taking a small dose of melatonin three to four times a week helps me. I know that taking a heavy dose of magnesium every night helps me. 
I know that eating uh, not that close to bed helps me, you know, try to eat like three hours before bed. That That is, by the way, a general trend we see across Whoop data. That's not just personalized to me. If I do drink alcohol, I try to de- drink it a, a couple hours before bed versus right before bed. That makes a huge difference. Hydration makes a huge difference for me. And again, different people have different sensitivities. Some people can get away more with alcohol. Some people can get away more with with how close they eat to bed. And that's you know that's where the fun part is. It's you you all of a sudden become this computer for yourself, and and you can figure out how you can be more optimal. And frankly, it's not changing a lot about your life. It's it's just it's you know raising your consciousness. Even if you're not an athlete, as a business leader you still accrue strain through activities that increase your cardiovascular load that the body takes on every day. Things like stress, travel, and work. Now, science tells us that you don't actually get stronger during exertion. That's what breaks you down. You actually get stronger during rest. Sleep is the period to repair, regenerate, and prime your mind and body for peak performance. So how does Will recommend we become better sleepers? Well, physiologically, the number one thing is sleep consistency. If you know someone in your life who seems super functional and they're like, I only get six hours a night and that's all I need and da, da, da. Well, it's probably not true. But the thing that that person almost definitely does to be highly functional is they have a very, very fixed routine and they rarely break it. And that routine, again, improves your circadian rhythm. And it make, it, it, we've seen that it increases heart rate variability. It decreases resting heart rate and improves recovery. So if you go to bed at 11, try to always go to bed at 11. If you wake up at 6, try to always wake up at 6, right? So sleep consistency, I would say, is one of the most profound. And that's something that, that Whoop does a good job coaching you on. We talked about alcohol. Alcohol is bad. Alcohol affects sleep. It sounds obvious, but when you see it in the numbers, you're kind of like, oh, that's a bummer, right? Like you, you do see it. Generally speaking, the colder the room, the better. Most people are sleeping in a room that is too hot and they're also sleeping in a room that's too bright. So, you know, you also want to have a darker room if possible. Some people have found benefit from like noise machines. You also typically want to avoid looking at your phone right before bed uh, and staring at screen devices, television, phone, iPad. I actually break this rule a little bit because I look at my phone a lot leading up to bed, as I imagine many entrepreneurs listening to this do or executives. One way you can you can sort of hack it is you can get blue light blocking glasses, which I highly recommend. And I wear these glasses that have like a, a red a red tint. My wife thinks I'm crazy, but I've grown to really like them. And they block blue light. And so even if you're looking at a screen you're starting to feel sleepy because you're not getting that light that's stimulating your brain. And studies have shown that that blue light really disrupts sleep. So I fall asleep much faster than people normally do. And I go faster into to REM and slow wave sleep as a consequence, which makes the hours that, I, that I'm in bed, again, more productive hours. Well, it, 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 we've all heard the people that, you know, this was even me in the in the early years of, of starting the business where I was the type of person that said I didn't need much sleep. Like I could function on two to three hours of sleep. And that is, I think not only is that a huge mistake, but I, I think that oftentimes you don't realize how much more functional you can be when you're sleeping properly, when you're recovering properly. But it, as we're talking about entrepreneurs specifically, I mean, I've long since believed that this is really, you know, entrepreneurship is very much like pain tolerance or stress tolerance and that being able to 
not just endure that stress, but function well in it can, can make you a more successful entrepreneur altogether. So to me, it's not one of those things that's more of like a novelty. It's, it's more of a competitive advantage. What, what are your thoughts? Absolutely. I mean, you have to, you have to learn, I think, as an entrepreneur, how to overcome stress or how to be able to manage it. And for me, one massive way of doing that is getting rest. I feel like I can go for 10, 11, 12 hours straight in a day and then turn off and do it again. And I, I think I've trained my body to do that over eight years of kind of thinking about it. And I'm proud to say that I haven't really had a had a profound point of burnout in building this business for that long. And mind you, I've had some real lows. I mean, real lows for the business where it's like, you know, you're trying to figure out what's the business model. How do we grow this thing? You potentially lose some good people over the years or you have to let them go because of cost reasons. You know, I've had to deal with a lot of that. And the cool thing about dealing with that and also finding a way to manage through really difficult times is that when times are then good, it's almost like you've been training with weights on and all of a sudden the weights are off and the winds are your back and you realize the power of, of momentum. You know, I think it, for any entrepreneur or executive who's trying to get something done and it's an uphill battle, you're sort of faking in your mind some level of momentum. You're giving yourself some illusion of momentum to keep going. And, you know, that's a mechanism, right? But what the reality is when you actually have true momentum, like true tangible momentum, you feel so much faster, you feel so much freer. And so I would just encourage people who do feel like they're going through a tough patch to know that it's a healthy thing that they're building in the process. What's also been amazing to me is, is the pace at which you guys have been able to innovate. I mean, I remember when COVID-19 breaks out and then there's an app update very quickly thereafter that's like, okay, now we're starting to, to track this stuff. And Whoop adds this functionality where maybe you always had it, I don't know whether you did or didn't, but just started reporting on like respiratory rate and how the changes in respiratory rate could be a precursor to COVID-19. How did that kind of whole process come to be? Well, look, one of our core values is to move at an uncomfortable pace. I think a massive differentiator for any business is to move really fast. And I, I use that word uncomfortable carefully. Like it needs to be a little uncomfortable because me as CEO of Whoop of a, you know, we've been a 10 person company. We've been a 50 person company. Today we're closer to a 250 person company. In order to keep pushing that level of pace, I have to recognize that I'm going to lose control of certain decisions. I'm going to lose oversight of certain things. And that in turn can make me uncomfortable. So you have to choose, right? And, and so we have chosen. We've chosen to move uncomfortably fast. And it's been a huge differentiator for us. And, and also, I think another core value for Whoop is to do research, and to base things on research and validation. Because again, I felt like a lot of fitness products, fitness trackers, stuff in the space wasn't based on research. And so the combination of being a business that moves uncomfortably fast and being a business that's based on research ultimately positioned us really well to, to understand COVID-19. And in early January, one of our board members at Baker, who is a a really famous Silicon Valley exec who helped grow businesses like Facebook and Uber. And he, he's a guy who's used to seeing how small numbers grow really fast, which is also the right person to understand what's about to happen with COVID-19. He told me in mid-January, COVID-19 is going to be a global pandemic and you should do a lot of research on it. And I was wearing N95 masks on planes actually 
in January. I went back and looked at my photos. I was the only person on a flight wearing an N95 mask. And everyone looked at me like I was crazy. And it was funny flying recently and seeing everyone wearing, wearing masks. Anyway, so we got there early. We did a lot of research. We understood that it was a respiratory tract infection. We honed in on this idea of respiratory rate early. And in early March, we were the first consumer app to have COVID-19 tracking in the app. And uh, the nice thing about having a lot of data and a lot of members is you can build data sets quickly, right? And so we had uh, you know about 2,000 responses of people who had tested, said they had tested positive for COVID-19. And you know, within three weeks, we were partnered with CQU and other research institutions. And we were up and running to publish you know, data on what does WHOOP data look like before, during, and after COVID-19. And what we found was quite powerful. I mean, it, it jumped off the page. It was unexpected, frankly. You know, when, when you get sick, your body has a physiological response. So you've seen like your resting heart rate goes up, your heart rate variability goes down, you get red recoveries, your sleep is disrupted. And so the thing about that, of what I just described, is it tends to be nonspecific. Like from a purely WHOOP data standpoint, we can't tell, okay, well, is that the flu or was that the common cold or was that whatever? And where COVID-19 has been so fascinating is that it, it actually has a very specific indicator, and that is respiratory rate. So respiratory rate is the number of breaths in a minute. And for most people, it's somewhere between 10 and 20. And we measure this again while you're sleeping. So we take it in a control every night. And it's, it's actually a really boring statistic. Like it doesn't change at all. It really never changes. And so for the longest time, it actually wasn't even in the Whoop app. We just collected it in the background. And what we saw with, with the COVID-19 data is in fact, the people who got COVID-19 had these massively elevated respiratory rates and it jumped off the page. It really jumped off the page. And you know, we, we published that research and, and it looks like we can play a big role in helping people understand whether they have COVID-19 and potentially, you know, be a, be a leading indicator. Now I'll, I'll say all that with a caveat, which is that WHOOP is not a medical device and we're, we're, we shouldn't be thought of as the only solution for understanding COVID-19. I think there needs to be testing and masks and all sorts of things, but like, I'll give you an example with the PGA tour. So the PGA Tour for a long time had a bunch of golfers wearing Whoop. And one golfer, Nick Watney, had been wearing Whoop for 10 months. The PGA Tour gets back up and running about a month ago. And Nick Watney tests negative for COVID-19 on Tuesday. A tournament is from Thursday through Sunday. Nick Watney then goes to play in the tournament on Thursday. He wakes up on Friday. He's feeling completely fine. And yet his Whoop data shows this massively elevated respiratory rate. For 10 months, Nick Watney's respiratory rate was 14, 14, 14, every day, 10 months. And all of a sudden he wakes up one day, it's an 18. I mean, it jumped, jumped off the page. And he had seen the research that we had published about respiratory rate. And so he went to the, the, the tour doctors and said, I think I need to be tested again. They actually said, hey, you're cleared to play. You don't need to get tested again. And he forced their hand. He got tested. And sure enough, he had COVID-19. And for the next two weeks, by the way, Nick Watney didn't have symptoms. 
And yet, if you looked at his whoop data, you could tell that something seriously was up with his body. I mean, all the things that we just talked about, not to mention respiratory rate. I think that's where it's quite powerful. I mean, and, and it goes back to this idea, literally a thesis from the beginning of starting whoop, is that there are secrets that your body is trying to tell you that you can't feel. And in general, feelings are overrated. And I don't think that's ever been more true than with, with COVID-19, where you can literally be a carrier of COVID-19 and feel nothing and give it to someone else and it kills them. I mean, that's how scary this virus is. And so, yes, in general, my bias is that people should be monitoring their bodies to understand their bodies. Now, you know, obviously, Whoop collects a lot of data and there's you know, always the concerns around data privacy. So I understand you need to track a lot of data to provide a lot of great insights. But at the same time, how do you balance that with making people feel comfortable with the amount of data that's being collected? Yeah, look, we follow all the best practices. We store our data you know, using Amazon Web Services. It's highly encrypted and protected. We follow a lot of the same security guidelines as banks. You know, From the earliest days of the company, I was I was talking to lawyers because, you know, we had people's data like LeBron and, you know, Phelps and like these sort of world-class athletes. So we, we had to worry about privacy from the very, very beginning. I would also say that we view that the end user owns the data. You know, like if you're a Facebook user, you are actually the product, right? You, you're, the, you're the sales mechanism. And for Whoop, like you're not the product, you're not the sales mechanism. Your Whoop membership is, which you pay for, and that gives you data and that gives you analysis. And by the way, if you don't like your Whoop membership, you should cancel. So that's our responsibility is to provide insights that that give you value. And when you, when you talk about the PGA Tour, so I, I think this is incredibly interesting because they have since in, embraced Whoop, and, and it's likely that many other organizations are going to follow, both sporting organizations. But let's talk about like Whoop and Enterprise, because I hear something like this. I've obviously been a Whoop fan for a while, and I think organizations are already struggling with like how do they essentially manage COVID within their organization? They've got hundreds of employees and so on. But what about like rolling that out to an organization? Like, is, is that something fairly recent that you guys have now started offering and, and how does it work? Yeah, we just launched the Whoop Back to Work business unit. And this ultimately is using our technology for teams as a management solution to help, you know, ultimately help groups of people think, be thoughtful about how they can go back to work. And, you know, for months at Whoop, we've used our own technology to play a smart role in, in our safety. So if someone had a red recovery, you know, they weren't allowed to come to the office this was well before there were lockdowns and stuff because it's a sign that their bodies run down or they're sick, right? So it's in their best interest and, and their coworkers' best interest to work from home. And now with, with the respiratory rate research and, and what we saw with the PGA Tour, we've built a solution for, for teams to help individuals also look at their respiratory rate. If you can catch that you have COVID-19 two days or three days before you feel symptoms, that's a lot of touch points that you didn't just have. Justin Thomas on the PGA Tour said that if if Nick Watney hadn't been wearing Whoop, the PGA Tour would have been screwed because the you know he would have potentially infected like a lot of players over the whole weekend. So, uh, you know, we're we're working virtually every industry. We're finding partners to do this with now, which is uh, it's exciting for us, but but you know also a little surreal. Like we 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 can actually play a big role right now. So we're, we're doing our best to keep up. We're working, for example, on a construction site with 
10,000 construction workers, you know, like they need to work and they also need to be thoughtful about how to do that safely. Uh, we're working right now on some Hollywood sets, you know, Hollywood wants to go back to work. We're working with transportation, people that are responsible for transporting humans, people who are responsible for transporting supplies, you know, this, so this is airlines, this is helicopter companies. We're working with corporations. So people that, you know, a corporate environment where an executive wants their team to be uh, more thoughtful about, about how they, they manage their bodies, you know, a little bit more sleep and recovery focused than just COVID focused. But obviously we offer both of those uh, aspects from wearing the product. Retail environment, theme park environment. Uh, these are the types of, of uh, organizations that we're now supporting. Schools. I think going back to school right now is a, it's a tricky one to manage. And so much of, of your experience of being a student is collaborative. It's in person. It's being with one another. It's living with one another in a lot of cases, right? Colleges, boarding schools. We have a bunch of partners there. So I'm curious, and we talk about unlocking human performance. There's obviously, I don't think there's anyone that would argue the benefits from a public health standpoint of tracking something like respiratory rate as a precursor to COVID-19. But when you get into, let's say, in an organization, you're tracking recovery and sleep, and you're sitting in a meeting, and you're looking at someone saying, this person's recovery was really poor last night. Maybe they shouldn't be making these types of decisions today, or you know, they're going to be making bad decisions. Where is like the balance between the ethical side of that, of, of like sharing that data and having that data available to to an organization versus like, I mean, I guess essentially what can and should be disclosed. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think at the end of the day, you, you should be focused on the performance itself. We aren't going around whoop and, and judging people based on the number of hours of sleep they got or their recovery today. Now, for me personally, if I have to make a decision that's setting the company on a certain trajectory and I know I've got a few nights in a row of bad sleep, okay, yeah, maybe I'm going to hold the day on that decision. Like that's just a level of awareness that I've come to in monitoring my body for six years, you know, and, and running a business while I did it. So that's a little more personal, but I think you should be judged by the performance. And I mean, sports is a great analogy. The Michael Jordan flu game, you know, one of my all-time favorite uh, sporting events ever. Michael Jordan, six, got the flu. Maybe he had food poisoning according to the last dance, although I've heard – of her disputes on that. And, you know, on whoop, he would have been totally run down, red recovery, didn't sleep well, probably had terrible health statistics. The flu, first of all, gives you terrible statistics on whoop. And yet he had this world-class performance and won the game. So you focus on the performance, right? Now, is that sustainable? Could he have done that every night? Well, maybe Michael Jordan, but most people know, right? So that's where the data is valuable in itself. And as we look to the future, I mean, you guys have been very much on the forefront of that. Like, what does that look like to you? Just in terms of whether it's the future of Whoop or just the future of just unlocking human performance, what, what can we expect over the next few years? I think every individual is going to have a perfect recipe of what makes them more optimal. And then, of course, it'll be the responsibility of the individual to decide if they're going to follow that recipe. But I believe that Whoop is pretty close to being able to provide a 24-7 life coach that tells you exactly what you should do. And that's what we want to offer to the market. That's what we're excited about. 
I think over time it'll it'll expand into other aspects of of performance. But yeah, we want to be able to help people understand their bodies in a very deliberate way, not in a oh four thousand steps today kind of what does that mean sort of way in a really deliberate, Hey, you should take these different things and not take these different things and go to bed here and wake up here and, and these types of workouts today, but not these types of workouts today. And this is how you should think about stress. And yeah, I mean, it's going to be really, really insightful. Excellent. And Will, as we come to a close, you're certainly a game changer. This being the game changer podcast, what does being a game changer mean to you? Well, I don't know. I mean, I try to stay hungry. I, I think, I don't necessarily think of myself as a game changer. I, I'm really fortunate to get to work with brilliant people every day and I get to work on a really special product. And so that's what gets me up energized every morning is the people I work with and the product that we're developing. And if at the end of that road, uh, we can make a big impact on someone's life, that's pretty cool. I wanna give a huge thank you to Will Ahmed for taking the time to speak with us today. You know, what particularly resonated for me was how at the end of the day, Our ability to take on more strain and continuously recover from it is what improves our long-term performance. In fact, leaders who can properly manage greater degrees of stress and strain are more resilient and can withstand greater challenges. For growth-minded business leaders, while eliminating stress entirely is typically not an option, managing stress more effectively is. And remember, what gets measured gets improved. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with me, Michael Mogul. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could share the podcast with at least one other ambitious law firm owner who you believe would benefit. And you know what? Maybe more than one. For more information on our interview with Will Ahmed, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit GameChangingAttorney.com. And join us next time when we'll be speaking with recovering addict, acclaimed speaker, and three-time CEO, Michael brody Wait. We're going to be speaking about how great leaders live like drug addicts, the self-imposed masks we wear that hold us back, and how to unlock the incredible competitive advantage of being your true self. When I started my startup, I got to a similar point where I was like, I don't know how to be a CEO. And I was so scared to tell my team. And I did the recovery thing, which I learned from addiction recovery. And I went to them and I said, I don't know how to be a CEO. Did they leave? Did they run away? No, they helped me find a mentor, which helped me find the solution, which helped me actually become worthy of leading them. That's next time on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Oh,